You are listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and other conversations as we strive to go serve and love in our communities. If you want to know more about us, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org. If you've enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on YouTube. If you would, find Colossians chapter 3 in the Bibles. Colossians chapter 3 or like always, you can follow on the screen. Today, we conclude our Christmas Advent series, The Gifts of Christmas. We looked at the gift of a helper. Last week, we talked about the gift of hope. And today, we're looking at the gift of a home, a heavenly home. Now, we'd all be honest, uh, depending on what's going on in our lives, we probably don't really think of heaven too much, do we? Unless you're on your deathbed or doctor comes and gives you a bad report or some bad news. But just depending on what's going on in your life. I mean, last couple of weeks for me, just had some things on my heart and on my mind. And it really starts, and as we studied for this particular sermon on heaven, it made me think a lot more about heaven. Uh, guys, we are just passing through this world. Do we understand that? And boy, if you're a Christian, a child of God, heaven is something to look forward to. Now, last couple of years, we've had this thing that has not gone away called the pandemic. Um, we've had a lots of still just uh, un, uh, political unrest, economic uncertainty. And, of course, there's been a lot of multiple shootings lately, if you keep up with that. But I believe all of us here today need to reset our minds on the things above. And my prayer this morning is that this message encourages you. It encourages me. In Colossians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 3, it says this, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Amen? So let's consider three things about our heavenly home. First is the reality of heaven. The reality of heaven. What does Paul say about it? Well, you look at verse 1 in the New Living Translation. It says this. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. By the way, if you're interested in learning more about heaven, I've said this before when I preach the message on heaven. Randy Alcorn's book is probably the greatest book there is uh, on heaven uh, that I've ever read. So you may ask, what are the realities of heaven? Well, that's a good question. Number one, heaven is a real place. No, it really is. Y'all believe that? It really is. We just don't live like it sometimes, do we? Heaven is a real place. John 14, 2, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And speaking to his disciples, Jesus says, I have a place for you. The word place in John 14, 2 is the Greek word topos. It is where we get our English word topography from. When you look up topography in the dictionary, it will say it comes from the Greek word topos. Topography is the technique of graphically representing the exact physical features of a region on a map. That's what topography is. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Not just a place, but a real place. Now, sometimes we get the idea because we see it on television and on the movies that heaven is just a gaseous realm of disembodied spirits. 
It's kind of spooky. It's like, man, where is that? You know, some gaseous cloud. You know what I mean? That's not what heaven is. Heaven is a real place. Jesus had a real body, a body you could feel, a body you could touch. He ate with his disciples, if you remember, after he arose from the dead, and he ascended in his resurrected body, in his real body to be in a real place called heaven. So heaven is a real place. It's a place you can see. It's a place you can touch. It's a place you can feel. It's even a place that you can measure. Again, when I did the sermon on uh, heaven, I kind of gave you the measurements. But basically, if you just look at the new city there in Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, it's 1,500 miles tall, wide, and long. And that's just a little cube. That's not all heaven. That's just Jerusalem, the city there, the holy city of heaven. That's not all of heaven. It is, but it is a measurable place. It's a real place. But not only is heaven a real place, Heaven is a beautiful place. Now, I have been to some beautiful places in my life, and many of you have too. And I've seen some of the beautiful places, whether you go online, you watch them on TV or whatever, but some of you have been to Niagara Falls. I've been there. It's great. Glacier Falls, Hawaii. I mean, we go on. Some of you have been lucky enough to go to Switzerland. I'm jealous. Some people have been to some beautiful places on earth. But this earth is also fallen. Do you know that this earth was cursed? The Bible says in Romans 8, 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, it waits for God to remove the curse. So if a curse fallen earth can be so beautiful, how much more God's heaven will be beautiful. I love what R.G. Lee said about heaven and the beauties of heaven. Somebody asked him what it's like. What does it look like? He said, heaven is this. All that the wisdom of God can conceive and all that the power of God can create. That is heaven. Just think about it. The Bible tells us in Revelation 21.2, when speaking of the capital city of heaven, the new Jerusalem, he says this. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. God says that's the way that this city is going to be. Just like a bride adorned for her husband. Now listen to me. When a bride gets ready for a wedding, it is Katie bar the door. Amen? I mean, you don't just send your daughter to find a wedding dress on a sales rack. Right, ladies? I tried that with my daughter. She squelched that real fast. And oh gosh, we got to buy the shoes. We have to get the shoes. It can't just be pay less, right? I mean, it's the shoes. I mean, us brides, us grooms, we just kind of look the way we are. You understand? That's us. But then, you know, you got to go get your hair done. Oh, my goodness, how much does it cost to do hair? I do my own, or Lori does it. <laughs> but then you got to have the mani-pedi. you got to have the nails all done, right? Amen, ladies? You know what I'm talking about. I mean, you get all ready. They pull out all the stops. But the groom, we just kind of show up like we are. And God says, that is what I'm preparing. The holy city is like a bride adorned for her husband. God says it's a beautiful place. But also, it's a real place. It's a beautiful place. But heaven is an exciting place. It's real. It's beautiful. And it's exciting. Did you know that so many people in our world, even Christians, get the idea that heaven is a dull, boring place? 
But where do we get the idea that heaven is a dull, boring place? Heaven is an exciting place. How come people think it's boring? Well, Mark Twain, who wrote the adventures of Huckleberry Finn and other fictions that we enjoy reading, he thought heaven was boring. He said, I'll take heaven for climate, but I'll take hell for company. Now, where does that come into play? It comes into play from the devil himself. The Bible says that the Antichrist, in Revelation 13, 6, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and to slander his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. He slanders his name. He slanders his dwelling place. He slanders God's house and slanders heaven. Now, why would he do that? Well, because he used to live there. And he got kicked out because of his sin, because of his pride. He is bitter, and he knows how awesome heaven is. But he is a thief and a liar and the father of all lies. And he wants to lie to you and to me. He wants to steal away the joy of the thoughts of heaven. He wants to get us to believe a lie that heaven is a boring place. See, if you believe that heaven is a boring place, and all you're going to be do, uh, going to be doing is maybe sitting on a cloud and plucking a harp, you got another thing coming. I mean, who wants to do that for all of eternity? Nobody. Guys, I'm going to be in heaven, I would think, with my hands raised, singing, you are way maker, you are a miracle worker, you are promise keeper. Amen? That's what I believe. What about you? Listen, the Bible says in the book of Psalms, that in God's presence is fullness of joy. And in his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You see, God just reaches in his pocket. He just reaches into his pocket. You aren't going to experience one boring nanosecond in heaven. Do you realize that God is still preparing heaven? And he created the world in how many days? And he is still preparing your place. And when it's time, remember, Jesus is sitting at the right hand. Son, it's time to go get my children. And will you be ready for that? What an exciting day it's going to be. You see, it's thrilling and exciting with the Lord. So these are some of the realities that God says, set your mind, set your sights on those realities. Second point is the mindset of heaven. Verse 2 makes it very clear. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Think about the things, not the things of earth. As verse 1 said, where the Bible says, You that have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Think on heaven, not on earth. Now I admit, I've said this earlier, that I don't think about heaven enough. I ask myself, how much am I really spending my day thinking of heaven? Not near enough. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you don't think about heaven as much. But we really don't think that much about heaven, do we? And the Bible says, think about it. Well, why should we think about it? Well, because it helps us in our trials on earth. See, we don't think that, but it does. Listen, and you're here today, and you may say, I know about trials. This year, 2021, just like 2020, a year of trials and challenges and a lot of uncertainty. But how does thinking about heaven help me and my problems? Man, it helps you so much. You have problems. I have problems. 
You say, Al, you don't have problems like I have problems. I mean, I look at you. You look healthy. You look happy. I mean, you even look handsome. Now, why would y'all laugh like that? Really? Well, I may look healthy on the inside, but I got some things going on on the inside. But you may say, Al, well, you look like everything is going on good in your life. Really good. But you know what I'm going through. I mean, you look like your marriage is going good. I mean, you look like you've got it all together. You look like things are going so good in your family. But my family is on shaky ground. And I just got back from the doctor. And he says that I'm very sick and I may die. And so I have it worse than you. Well, maybe so. But you don't have it worse than Paul. You remember him? Paul had it worse than us, didn't he? He was beaten. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked and even had his head cut off. Pretty bad week there, wasn't it? He had it pretty bad. But you know who had it worse than Paul? Jesus. Jesus, a man of sorrows. Jesus, a man that was familiar with grief. Jesus had to go to the cross. And when he went to the cross, you remember he was whipped almost to death. He was beaten. And they even plucked his beard out. Now, you understand, I have a beard. And just one hair gets caught in something. Men, you know what I'm talking about? It hurts. His whole beard. You couldn't even recognize him. This is how bad he was beaten. And they spit on him. And then they nailed him to a tree. And he was on the cross for six hours one Friday. Dying a horrible, painful, excruciating death. He was. I want you to think about that. Horrible. How did he do that? Because at any time, if you remember, Jesus could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. Amen? He could have been off that cross, no more pain. So how did he handle that difficulty? Well, in Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, what? Despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what Jesus did? He thought about heaven. He put the joy before him, he said, I'm going to come out of this cross, off of this cross eventually in God's timing. He is going to raise me from the dead, and he is going to put me at the right hand, the place of power. And that is what was on his mind. That is what he was looking forward to. Not the hurt and pain as much of what was on the other side. This is what Moses did. The Bible says that Moses, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking forward to the reward. That is what Paul did. How did Paul get through everything that he got through? Paul said, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed to us. His mind was on heaven. That is why he told the Philippians Christians, I have the desire to depart and be with Christ that is very much better. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You see, those guys were thinking heaven, and that's what got them through. 
So many people, all these people, they think there's just so many problems. They think earth and they don't think heaven. And if you don't think heaven, then all you're going to do is see your difficulties. And we need to get our eyes off of our difficulties and start seeing the joy that is set before us. <clears throat> Listen, you've heard that, haven't you? Hey, this too shall pass. And you've heard me say it may be like a kidney stone, but it will pass. One day the Lord is coming back and we're going to meet him. So you and I, we need to fill our minds with heaven because one day the Lord is coming to take us as just children to heaven. And that will be an exciting day. And we don't know when that is. But let me just tell you, like I tell you all the time, it's one day sooner than it was yesterday. Amen. But the Lord is coming. So fill your mind with that because it makes a difference with your trials here on earth. So the thought of heaven helps us in our work on earth. You say, my work on earth, well, I'm a coach. I mean, well, I'm an accountant. Well, I'm a lawyer or I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm talking about, listen, your job assignment from God to be his witness. Because in the book of Acts, it says what? You shall be my witnesses. Listen, we're talking about our work on earth. And see, if you and I will think more about heaven every day, a whole lot more, because every person we meet, we start thinking, is that person going to heaven? See the difference there? I wonder if old Joe at the office is going to heaven. I wonder if the secretary down the hall is going to heaven. I wonder if my neighbor next door is going to heaven. You just think about heaven all the time. And when you do, you have to share with somebody. Because heaven is so wonderful. You, listen, you don't want the people you know, the people you rub shoulder with, your family, your friends to miss out on heaven. And it helps us in our priorities on earth. You see, it's, so, it's just all so easy to get our priorities all goofed up. I mean, it's easy for me. It's easy for everybody. See, Jesus preached more, listen to this, about money than he did any other thing. You've heard me say that before. More than he even preached about heaven, he preached about money. Now, I'm not going to finish this sermon on money so you can relax. You know why? Because the default setting for the vast majority of us is to get our priorities out of whack and make money our God. Because, see, you need money to live, and we know that. God knows that. But God says, don't look to money Look to me to supply. You see, money is a great servant, but it is a terrible master. And so many people are mastered by money. That's what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6.10. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many a pang. And the love of money starts early in life. It reminds me of a story of a, little, of a mother who gave her a five-year-old daughter as they went into church for the offering. She says, now I'm going to give you a dollar bill, and I'm going to give you a quarter. Now I'm going to leave it up to you when the offering plate is passed, which one to put in. I'm not going to tell you. So at the end of the service, the mother said, well, honey, which one did you put in the offering plate? She said, well, mother, I was looking to put the one dollar bill in, but then when the pastor said God loves a cheerful giver, I knew I'd be a lot more cheerful if I just gave the quarter. Now, that reminds me of the way we look at when it comes to the things of God. <clears throat> but see, if you and I think about heaven, 
And we have heaven on our mind and are seeking the things that are above, we want to invest in that place. That's just like when you saw Pastor Tim's video. Now, I'm on the video over at his church. You're wondering why I'm standing here. They can come together, and we can go, and we can serve, and we can love, and we can build up the kingdom of God together. Do we understand that? Listen, because this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. Don't let this pandemic get you down. There is hope. In the chaos, because our hope is found in Jesus, not man. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let me repeat that last sentence. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This verse is true. Where your treasure is, your heart will follow your treasure, and the reverse is true. Where your heart is, your treasure will follow. See, if you really love the Lord with all your heart, he's got your money, right? If you love the Lord God with all your heart, he's got your money. That's why God doesn't talk about the greatest commandment is to give him your money. The greatest commandment is to love him with what? All your what? With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Then he, listen, when we love God with all of our heart, then he has everything already. So where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, and where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. So we need to be storing up and giving to the kingdom's work. So when we die, we have things that we have invested in heaven's bank. A multimillionaire died. Somebody asked, how much did he leave? They said, well, he left it all. Huh? See, if you can't take it with you, so invest it in the kingdom of God. The third and last thing about heaven is the assurance of heaven. The assurance of heaven. So let me ask you that question. Are you sure you are going to heaven? Do you have that assurance? Here's an interesting statistic. For every one American that think they're going to hell, 120 believe they are going to heaven. Interesting. One versus 120. We just figured the default setting of an American is heaven. It's kind of like... As being an American, we get to go to heaven. But the Bible doesn't say that, does it? Jesus didn't say, you know, it's just a few that go to hell and the majority go to heaven. He actually said the opposite. He said, broad is the road to destruction. And many are those who travel that road. Narrow is the road of life. And few there be that finding it. So you're here today and you say, you know, I like all that stuff. So far, but now you're asking me, am I sure I'm going to heaven? Well, I thought I was going to heaven because I was here today. Hmm. Just because you was in church. Kind of like being at McDonald's makes you a hamburger, right? Well, surely, I mean, think about this. That must make me a Christian. <clears throat> and I joined this church uh, some years back. Surely that must make me a Christian. It doesn't work that way, people. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. 
For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Are you certain about that? You know what the saddest thing of all would be? If someone came to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and you never gave your heart to Christ. Now listen to this. You've got your name on the church roll, but you never got your name in the Lamb's book of life. And when you reach the end of your life, you hear the Lord say, depart from me, I never knew you. That would be horrible. And how many times have I said this to you? The greatest miracle takes place at Lima Baptist Temple every Sunday. As someone walks into this worship service lost on their way to hell. And before they leave, they hear the word, they receive the word, they obey the word. They ask Jesus in their heart as their Lord and Savior, and they walk out of here on their way to a new destiny called heaven. Guys, that's the greatest miracle in the world. That's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. So make certain. You say, Al, how can I know for sure? Because I struggle with knowing for sure I'm really saved. I have doubts. How do I know for sure? Well, two questions. Number one, have you died? Look at what it says in verse 3 of Colossians. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You've died, not physically. They died to themselves and they had received Christ. Die to the old self and receive Christ. That's what true salvation is. You die to yourself. You may ask, how did I do that? Well, you simply say, Lord, here's my life. I want to be saved. I give all of my life to you. And when you do that, what does he do? He gives all of his life to you. And the old you will die in a new you. The Lord will come to live inside of you. There will be a new person. You see, baptism depicts this. You die to your old self. When you go down in the water, it's like your old self, being buried with Christ. And when you're raised up out of the water, all things are washed away. You become new. There will be a new person. The word baptism means to immerse. You go under a pool of water to picture this, a picture of the burial and death. You come back up to picture the brand new life you have given, been given in Christ. That's why it says that you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 1 of Colossians says, If then you have been raised with Christ, has that happened to you? Have you died? Have you been raised? You know, there was a story about two sisters who got saved. They were wild sisters. But God saved them. And they were going to go to this wild, lewd party. And they sent back an RSVP. And this is what it said. We regret that we cannot attend because we have recently died. You see, they died to that old life. Has that happened to you? That's the first question. Second question is this. Is Christ your life? Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Is Christ your life? Is he really your life? Warren Wiersbe says this. Life is what you are alive to. Pretty good, isn't it? I talk to people sometimes, and you know they're very interested. They're not engaged, but if you bring up a subject that they like to play, you know, like uh, golf, or they want to talk about a football game, you know, they can talk for hours. Man, I mean, they're, they're off the charts. They can talk about it. What are you alive to? Somebody brings up the church or, or the word Jesus Christ, or that subject 
hmm. Gets quiet sometimes. Can we talk about something else? See, I don't want to talk about that. Is, is Christ your life? Has he changed you? Do you know you're saved? Is there a passion for the Lord? For his people? For his work? For his will? If that's never happened to you, you need to ask yourself, have I ever died? Have I been raised with Christ? Is the Lord really inside? Because I promise you, when the king comes to take residence in your life, there is a change that takes place. Do you know where you're going? Jesus didn't come to necessarily save us from pandemics and elections, but from our sins. Do we understand that this morning? Jesus came to give us the gift of a helper, the gift of a healer, the gift of hope, and the gift of a home, a heavenly home. Do you really know it? Because today is that day for you. If you're not sure that you've ever given your whole life to Christ, you can do that today. And you can ask Him to change your life forever. In just a moment, we're going to have our communion. And I kind of want to explain this to you as we get ready for invitation. Because I think so many times we take communion and we shouldn't be ready to take it when we haven't examined ourselves. So I want to give you an opportunity here in a moment with invitation. But I want you to understand communion is a time for participation. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16 says this. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? It's not also just a time of participation, but it's a time of examination. Hear this very carefully. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The word examine literally means to prove or qualify. In other words, before you take the Lord's Supper, you've got to make sure you're qualified. And two things qualify you to take the Lord's Supper. One is, you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And you've asked him to forgive you of your sin. And second, you are willing to be honest about the sins in your life and take care of that sin before you take that supper. Three is a time of appreciation. Verse 24 says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It is also a time of proclamation. For whenever you eat this bread... And drink this cup. You proclaim, you declare, you preach the Lord's death until he comes. And lastly, it is a time of anticipation. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, again, you proclaim, you declare, you preach the Lord's death until he comes. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we're not only to look backwards, but we are to look forward. This time we'll have every head to be bowed and every eye closed as Robin comes. And as we prepare now the moment to take communion, 
our invitation today is if you never asked Jesus in your heart as your Lord and Savior, why don't you do that right now? Just pray this prayer silently. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I know today, as Pastor said, I have not died to myself. And Father, I ask you to come into my heart, forgive me my sins, and save my soul. Father, be the boss of my life. Father, be the master of my life. Thank you for coming into my life. If you prayed that prayer, you just became a Christian, a new believer, born again. And you can take communion today. For many of you, you're just here today, you're just struggling. Maybe it's Christmas season, you can't find any joy. Well, understand your joy should be in the Lord. And the joy of looking forward to what heaven has to offer. So maybe many of you just need to come to the altar today just to pray. Maybe just clear some things up just to make sure that you are worthy to even take the supper today. I think of all of us, to be honest, we all have issues. We all have sin in our life and we have to confess it and repent of it every day. So why don't you just find this a safe place this morning to come and to pray. Now, Lord, as always, as we get ready for your invitation, Lord, I just pray that we'd be transparent with you, that God, people would receive the word and they would obey the word. And we ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast. We hope you are encouraged today and we would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, a topic you would like to discuss, or want to share what God is doing in your life, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org forward slash central hub.